Yes. Welcome back to the podcast, Josh, to what has been a very exciting first of three podcasts that we've got arranged with TypeCon. Hold on a second. Did I say what has been? That is, <laughs> we haven't gotten to it yet. <laughs> to, to what is. To what forever shall be. Okay. <laughs> to what <laughs> we are declaring to and be. And so <laughs> we shall talk about TypeCon. And we saw that it was good. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Interrogang Podcast, your weekly shot of typography news and notes, where we'll be sharing with you some new type releases from the past week and what has got us thinking in the world of type design and creativity. The Interrogang Podcast is an extension of Proof & Co., a website dedicated to digging into the world of independent typography and bringing discussions of type to a wider audience. I'm your host, Joshua Dick, along with Interrogang co-host, the incredibly talented and committed type enthusiast, and a man who attends the Monster Mash every year, Kyle Reed. How you doing today, Kyle? Hi, doing great. You know you know what? I wrote that. I knew I was going to perform <laughs> that. I just realized that this is going to air after Halloween. I didn't think about yeah. that right up until now. We're recording this before Halloween. It'll come out after <laughs> Halloween. So... Everyone, if you could just extend your Halloween a couple more days, or if you're listening to this six months from now, happy Halloween happy on Halloween, Valentine's Day. Happy Halloween, everyone. Uh, happy <laughs> Halloween. Trick or treat, everyone. So for the next three weeks, we will be centering our discussions around topics we enjoyed during this year's TypeCon, the virtual conference of which took place October 21st through 24th. And as always, we will be referring to the Proof & Co. weekly newsletter in this and every episode, which you can and should subscribe to at proofco.xyz to use as a visual reference. Here we are now, all the way in week 43, 2021. Welcome back to the podcast, Josh, to what is a very exciting first of three podcasts that we'll, we've arranged with TypeCon. Um, so we'll get to all unpacking all that goodness in a little bit. But first, I wanted to throw a couple of notable releases and moves made in the last two weeks in there since uh, we've recorded an episode. Uh, so first up, a big release this week out of France, Astronef Super, designed by Jean-Francois Porchet at Typo Fonderie. Uh, this is the fourth font family to come out of this foundry, helmed by the veteran this year. Uh, and this release truly reflects that experience. The Foundry describes it like this. Astronef Super borrows from the charm of retro-futuristic universes and is deliberately excessive in its stylistic choices. Retro-futuristic universes. I mean, that's a pretty big thing to base a type, type, type family off of. Yeah, no kidding. So Astronef Super is a very different feeling release from this Foundry uh, that has created a comfortable operating wheelhouse around classically designed fonts with historical inspirations. So that's kind of what they've done uh, in a in so few words. Uh, so this release feels wholly modern. Um, Astronef Super is a high display version of Astronef, which is still under development at Typo Foundry. But I'd say that final family will fit right in there with Oh no's Degular or Sharp Types, Sharp Sands. Um, it's a kind of it's a modern sans taking it in that direction, which is kind of cool. So this drastically exaggerated type set of Astronef Super is worth picking up to spice things up a bit. 
That's for sure. Uh, second, I want to bring up Tinta. Barcelona-based typographies has published Tinta, a type family of elegant shifting contrasts and stenciled glyphs named after the Catalan word for ink. Tinta arises a family of four subfamilies, coded, uncoded, broken coded, and broken uncoded. Honestly, I don't really know what those mean. <laughs> fun, fun that it's a unique descriptor. You don't see that often enough. I, I'm giving them points for having a, a, a new take on their classification structure of their whole uh, collection. I of don't families. see arcade coded, but other than that, I have no notes. So each each of those families has six weights plus italics for a total of 48 fonts total in the uh, entire Tinta collection. And there also are four variable fonts of each style, uh, one for each style too. So described as a, quote, rebellion against sterility and cold perfection, unquote. Oh my. Oh man, sounds harsh, right? Uh, Tinta actually presents a warm and beautiful alternative to the harsh sands multitudes out there. And true to its inspirations, the type promotional images used for Tinta all over Instagram and stuff are of people who actually got tattoos of the typeface set in different kind of uh, different ways, which I find to be pretty extreme and kind of cool. <laughs> um, yeah, pretty amazing. Yeah, would you ever get a tattoo, like a typographic tattoo, Josh? Now, while I wouldn't, just because <laughs> I'm not a, much of a tattoo person, surprise, surprise, um, <laughs> I do feel like there are people out there who very much would go for this, but... My challenge would be in 40 years, you need mm-hmm. to go back to all the people who got tinted tattoos and then design a typeface based on the wrinkly melted version oh, that man. it type, has become. Talk about type over time. That's true. You get a so, totally different, uh, I guess, tinta sag. <laughs> I pose the challenge. You want to talk about uncoded. Gross. I pose the challenge to tinta <laughs> in 40 years to design tinta sag oh, boy. or tinta tag. Well, we'll have to uh, put that one on the long burner, Josh, to see what happens yeah, in really, 40 years. If any of our listeners can remind us in 40 years, we'd yeah. greatly appreciate it. <laughs> so lastly, I want to address a recent move by uh, Type Network to have PampaType join their ranks. Um, I really admire PampaType. So they're a South American foundry, and, and I think this is actually a really good move for them. Type Network will not be carrying all of their types. So they have a pretty extensive catalog, uh, or at least that's what I, you know, as far as I can surmise about the, uh, the the introduction there. But only four of the Foundry's typefaces, including Atahualpa, uh, which is uh, will be carried by um, Type Network. Uh, so Atahualpa is a really fun reverse contrast family that I think covers a few gaps in the Type Network offering a reason why I think that they wanted to bring them on. So uh, the rest of the fonts from Pampa Type are still available through their own site online, but I thought it was a good move on both Type Network and Pampa Type's parts, uh, proving that you don't need to go black or white, you know, absolute extreme with how your foundry operates with big market players uh, and distributors. Um, wink, wink, nudge, nudge to recent uh, capitalist news that has come out in the last month or two. <laughs> So that's that. Anyway, what uh, that's what I've been spotting the last couple of weeks. Uh, what has bubbled up for you, Josh? Uh, what's bubbling? Well, I would like to highlight a quote that I saw from uh, the NBA team, the Utah Jazz's owner recently, 
frequent listeners of the Intergang will recognize that I can't stay away from sports branding for too long. So this is what I saw the Jazz. They are trying out a new all-black look for their uniform, mm. apparently, next year, uh, which includes uh, apparently a, a funky new font look. That's all they've they've given us. And the quote from the owner, Ryan Smith, is, I want to challenge our team at the Jazz. Push, push, push. And if you mess up, great. I want it to be safe to mess up. If the font works or doesn't work, no problem. And this quote brought me back to that age-old maxim in design, don't be afraid to fail. I think that anyone who has been told that at any point in their design education has probably pushed back a little bit on that. That, you know, Mm -hmm. that's great, but if I fail, I don't get the job, and then pretty soon after that, I'm dead, and so that doesn't sound too good. (laughs) The nihilist point of view. (laughs) Well, you know, starving artist point of view more than anything. little pessimism, but... Fair. Uh, But anyway, I I really do think that a lot of people in design have come to terms with that idea that they and find some comfort in the idea that you have room to screw up as you work um, so that you aren't always just doing what's comfortable and easy and what's been done before. But what I got thinking about, Mm -hmm. what I, I think we all still struggle with is allowing for that freedom to fail in others. Mm -hmm. We can try, try again after we at first don't succeed. But when our coworker or employee or our client or our favorite NBA team or our least Mm -hmm. favorite Twitter follow (laughs) who we've never met before tries and fails, I'm not quite sure that we're as open to it. We're as forgiving to it. So Kyle, do you think, do you feel like you have the room to fail? Not just not just screw up, but like yeah. a project fails. I mean, I think I've I've had less room to fail recently. Um, I think COVID and the whole reset that happened there it filled me up with a little bit more grace and wiggle room for that kind of thing. I think that's true for a lot of people. Yeah, yeah. But I think that's been closing up, and I would probably be best to return to that level of grace giving in this in the eyes of failure yeah i think it's cool that the utah jazz is so vulnerable here in saying that they're like hey we could screw this up but we're going for it (laughs) that's what i like too i like the idea that there's an openness about it and it makes Mm -hmm. you the listener be ready for them to fail be ready prepare yourself that you may not like it that's okay they've got it they don't necessarily think they've struck gold they recognize it as a process. And it was in uh, Erica Holman's talk on serious play at TypeCon that got me thinking mm. about the ways that yep. we process failure in creative pursuits. Uh, Erica referenced that play, and uh, as part of your process, it welcomes experimentation, and it gets you used to making mistakes as you create and away from trying to make something how it quote unquote should look like. Yes. And I agree with this 100%. And I think it can and should expand how we view typographic and design missteps that others make as well. So, you know, if if the Utah Jazz come out with an all new design in Curls MT next year, cut them some <laughs> slack. They're just having some fun along the way. And can't we all just have a little fun? Can't we all just get along? As Groucho Marx once said, time flies like an arrow, fruit flies like a banana. 
<laughs> so here today on the podcast, we're going to deal with the first half of that wonderful quote uh, about <laughs> how the arrow of time flies in typography. A, a running theme in this year's TypeCon was how we look to the past to inform how we should look to the future. Mm-hmm. It's something we noticed while we were attending uh, the talks, and it's something that we wanted to dig a little bit deeper in today. And so, uh, first of all, I just want to do a, a quick overview. Kyle, uh, how did you feel with TypeCon this year? What were some of your main big takeaways? Oh, man, TypeCon was actually pretty fun this year. Uh, I haven't attended too many virtual conferences before. Um, I think mm-hmm. during COVID, especially during lockdown, there were a few conferences that said we're going to try to push on uh, in some kind of patched together virtual way. Um, and I didn't really attend too many of those. Uh, but 2021 has seen quite a few virtual conferences and TypeCon really got its ducks in a row with this conference. I thoroughly enjoyed it. One of the things I really like about TypeCon is the fact they have a more of a cultural presentation tone to it, but then also a an educational tone with their uh, kind of educational forum. And uh, that was refreshing. I don't know. I was I felt very homey and cozy and just very nice to return to a, a community talking about type uh, in a bigger way. That was nice. Let's get into it here, Kyle. Let's talk about sure. talking about context of of typography and particularly looking into history, type history for how it can inform our totally. future. Um, yeah, there are definitely a couple of points uh, that I'd like to to make on this topic of the arrow of time and type in context. And they were really brought to light for me in the running course of the conference. So the first idea that comes to mind when talking about type and context is that our work exists in a context that's very easy to forget about. (laughs) I think especially since we've all been working remote now and uh, work is kind of democratized and uh, disseminated all over the world, it's very easy to just push stuff out and feel like it's being pushed out in a vacuum. But we all need a reminder now and again that typography exists in very specific contexts sometimes, whether that's cultural or uh, historical or um, you know anything like that. But it also uh, exists in the, the larger context of, uh, of time. Um, so being here now is a, an important piece of combating that. You know, recognize what's going on right now in type, what you're putting out there, and how that's affecting the, the now as it stands. Understanding history to see the future, I think is a big deal. It's true. I think that was brought up in TypeCon a lot. That was a big theme. I think the the looking, yeah. finding what has been done before, and instead of just yes. viewing it as a history piece, a museum piece, yes. bringing it to the present and repurposing it. Um, that was something that yeah. uh, Noah Bryant talked about in his talk, resurrecting some of the old fonts of Herman Eilenberg that he's he's repurposing and reselling mm-hmm. as his his own variations today. So it's not just looking to history to see, ah, what did they do then? Mm-hmm. Neat. It's <laughs> what what does that mean for us now? Mm-hmm. And there is a way to find these old treasure troves that can help inform us and move us into the next phase into the future. 
That's right. Yeah, understanding what's come before you actually gives you a reference point to start doing things differently as well. You can say, oh, I can do it just like they did, or I can do something completely different because now I know what has existed. And that's- Or uh, anywhere in between. <laughs> that's right. Um, so yeah, the context uh, in time was, was a big theme. And I think that's it's easy for us to forget about that. The second idea that I want to bring up is the fact that the more things change, the more they stay the same. I think there's this paradox in typography that <laughs> for those who have been in the type industry for a long time, I'm sure they've seen several waves of, you know, the same like returning and then moving away from and then returning to certain styles or um, affectations in type. There is this feeling that the more the technology changes, the the more the type kind of seems to stay the same. Um, for me, this was brought to life in uh, John Barry and Jason Pemmenthal's talk, uh, Future mm -hmm. of the Book, where they kind of talk about what a book is and how that is all that information is being translated into bookmaking now digitally. That's eBooks, Amazon readers, etc. And also, what how can you start to change all of that and and move on to new things? But a lot of the same rules apply and a lot of the same results are being achieved, even though the technology has changed, which I thought was just an interesting thing to think about. Yeah. Why doesn't it move on differently? You know, and, and it, that's that's a great question of why is it so similar to the to the past? But what was interesting to me about that talk where a lot of the layout decisions of an ebook are very similar or identical to the decisions being made as books were first being printed. Yeah. And that the message I got from that was, we already know what to do. We just need to do it. You know, yes. ebooks e are notorious for having layout problems when they get transferred into those editions. And it, mm -hmm. the message I got was, all we need to do is do it right. The The answers yeah, are all right. there. <laughs> we're just simply not doing them. I think I think that's starting to change in the ebook yes. world. I think we're finally getting really well de designed and developed ebook editions. Yeah. But it took a long time and mm -hmm. it we had all the answers from the past and we just weren't looking. We thought it had to be something so so different and we were ignoring what we already knew. I think we've brought this up on the show before about um variable fonts as well. It's like, oh, we have all this new incredible technology at our at yes. our hands. Uh why aren't we seeing such an explosion of diversity and, and we must be able to change the world. <laughs> right. And anything less. Yes, and, and We're so just... when the, in the context of the book, I thought that it was really interesting because I guess people need to be familiar with the format and the experience before you can take them with right. you into the future. Um, so I still feel like we're on the cusp of something changing and and you know the reading experience changing drastically. But for now, it's that uh, you know the more technology change, the more things change, the more they seem to stay the same. We're kind of still playing that game. Yeah. Okay, so the third one I want to talk about is uh, play as an engine of progress. Uh, so this is something that you had just alluded to, Josh, in your uh, previous uh, bit. But I do think that there's something really worth uh, talking about and unpacking here in the idea of play as an engine of progress, specifically in the context of time. TypeCon presented a lot of examples of folks playing with the medium of type, yeah. the definition of type, like, what is it? Is it lettering? Is it not? Variable? Is it uh, even like the keynote um, with Alex Trochat? It was it was blurring the lines yeah. between what is type and what is not type. Yeah. I thought that play was really, really fun. 
Um, and people playing with the idea of right. type itself. Like, What's the definition? Yeah, what is right. typography even defined as at all? Yeah, exactly. Using so, that play to say, I, that was pretty cool. I, I could not explore the corners of what's capable without messing around. I have to mess around mm -hmm. to get there. Yes. Do the mess around, everybody. Do the mess around. Um, so yeah, the type play project talk by Ashley Pigford was very, very good um, at TypeCon and just giving yourself permission, first of all, to, uh, but Josh, you said the magic word, explore. I felt like that was a big deal and yeah. um, play as an engine of progress. It's the, really the only way to get there. When something else that Erica Holdman ta talked about in her talk was that I, we kind of, we think of this word play incorrectly. Play mm -hmm. is not just entertaining adults. It's not for funsies. Right. It's structured, it's purposeful, it's exploration. That is, yes. that's the point. And uh, I also liked that a lot of these talks didn't just say, hey, you guys should play more. It talked about how, or it talked about ways they've done it, ways that they've, uh, with students. Yeah, the way they've seen it done, right? Ways they've seen it done, that they've restructured curricula to to make sure that people are engaged, not just in the facts and the history, but in why this matters. That was yeah. present in just about every talk over the weekend. And again, something... I guess I, I also alluded to with the, the NBA discussion that it feels like we're mm -hmm. all trying to move towards that. We've just got to let ourselves and everyone else do it too. Yeah. It's obviously on everyone's mind. Yes. So let's just do mm -hmm. it. Yeah. Admit it and uh, make it, I guess, normalize the idea that play can push us further down that arrow of time um, in a good way. Admit that you're playful. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. It's fine. Come on. Um, so this kind of goes into the fourth point that I wanted to bring up about the arrow of time is that air experimentation and innovation, they both go hand in hand. So you really can't get to innovative solutions without a little bit of experimentation and play. That link was really apparent in TypeCon, and I, I felt that very deeply. Um, so the only way to really go forward is to, one, get your hands dirty start doing stop thinking or you know eventually you have to get out of the thinking and planning phase and get into the doing phase so right. that uh, experimentation can help you get out and in, in, into that that space um and then on the innovation side of things you know our, our society depends on the new it's really i mean I, guess, I don't know if it's just an american thing or if it really is a globalist thing at this point but the new 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 bye 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 now 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 syndrome that's it's a big driver of people innovating um right and the best path to new really is experimentation so experimentation and innovation you can't really decouple those and that's something i, I saw as pushing the the uh, arrow of time and typography forward a bit more and that's just the economics of it too you've you improve yeah. on the old you move past the old you are always innovating and improving it's how you get to the next thing if you stick to the old eventually it won't work it's not there for you and that's yeah. uh that's important so overall to sum up i guess uh our work exists in a context that's very easy to forget about number two the more things change the more they st stay the same or at least that's the way it seems it doesn't have to be that way but i think we're on the cusp of something you know seeing that change 
should always start by looking to the past. Play as an engine of progress um, is a big deal. And experimentation and innovation go hand in hand. I think those were my big four pullouts on on this one. And I, I don't know, just the... Yeah, that they really placed me in this context of the now in typography, um, something that we try to do a lot, Josh, here on Proof and Co. Uh, and the Intera gang is just realize where we are and and how beneficial it is to to know that. Yeah, yeah, I feel there were there were kind of two tracks that the TypeCon talks had with regards to where we've been and where we're headed to. Mm. One was looking to the past, not just to learn from mm-hmm. mistakes, but to bring the past into the present mm-hmm. and in tandem move to the future. And secondly, preparing for the future, not by looking for changes to our output, but changes to our process. Ooh, I like that a lot. Especially the discovery through play and experimentation. Right. Yeah, it's not just about producing more, it's about changing how you're producing. That will change you, right. get, help you produce something different. Those were the those were the two main tracks that I saw with all, with all these talks. I like that, Josh. I like that. And I think strong messages for all of us to take with us as we venture through life <laughs> into the future. <laughs> into the future. That's it for this week's Interrogang. Special thanks, as always, to editor and all things tech master Andrew Spheris. Original music featured throughout this episode was also composed by... Wait, this can't be right. It is Andrew Spheris. <laughs> the Interrogang Podcast can be found on our website, proofco.xyz slash podcast, as well as on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and just about anywhere you find your podcasts. If you want to receive more type news and notes, head to our website and subscribe to the weekly newsletter. Follow us on Twitter at proof underscore and underscore co., or email us at hello at proofco.xyz. If you have any questions for us, or have any thoughts on what we discussed in any of our episodes, or if you too fly like a banana, we'd love to hear from you. As always, thanks for being a part of the Gang. We will see you next week. It was the monster mash. It was the mash. It was a graveyard smash. It was the mash. It caught on in a flash. It was the mash. It was the monster mash. That was great, guys. Oh, that was good. Thanks. Yes, yes. <laughs> Nothing's going to line up at all. <laughs> yeah, that was rough. That was, uh, especially keys. I don't think musical keys mm. will line up mm. particularly well there. What key is the Intera gang operate in? <laughs>